we had our first ever six-figure day on launch day. Like, that's how crazy it went. And that had been something I'd been trying to achieve just like as a personal business goal forever, but seemed so unattainable. And it just hadn't even occurred to me that that day was going to be the day. Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. If you're smart, savvy, and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for a dose of inspo, hard-hitting truths, and actionable insights. Strap in. Today, we're chatting to Kayla Houlihan. She's the founder of Aussie brand Tribe Skincare. Her name might ring a bell. We actually first spoke to her in Feb 2021 at a time when she was embarking on a really big redesign of Tribe's brand identity. She was overhauling everything except for the brand name and the product formulations. The logo, the color, art direction and packaging, everything was on the table. This brand evolution would get Tribe ranged on the shelves of Australia's biggest beauty retailer, Mecca, or so Kayla hoped. In this episode, we get an update on what's been happening since. We learn how the branding project went 100k over budget, how Tribe had its first six-figure sales date ever on the day of the relaunch, how, after many conversations and negotiations, Mecca ultimately said no, and how Kayla turned this rejection on its head by establishing a whole new arm to the business instead. Before we dive in, just a really quick note on this episode. Unfortunately, on recording day, Caitlin was unwell, so it's just me, Anna, on the mic today. So we spoke, it was Feb 2021. So that was what, 18 months ago, almost. Yeah, wow. Last time for the podcast. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? Oh, if I was to sum it up in one word, I would say I have been busy. There has been so much going on in the business in the last 18 months and particularly the last nine months. So last time I was on here, I was probably talking about the rebrands that we were about to do. I think at that point, we just started with the branding consultants. I had no idea visually what the brand was going to look like. So 18 months down the track where we relaunched nine months ago, I now know what the brand looks like. I'm super looks happy great. with it. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely stoked with how that's all gone. So relaunched the entire rebrand in that time. We've also started wholesaling now. So that's a whole new aspect of the business and a new income stream for the business yeah. as well. So big changes there. And we've just launched our first product in two years. That kind of confuses people when we say it because they feel like we're launching things all the time. But we've actually just relaunched all of our existing products. With some variations, right, in terms of size and that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. So none of the formulas actually change. So it's essentially not a new product. But you're right, we changed the volumes of the products and, of course, all the packaging of the products. So it felt really like new and exciting again. But we've just actually launched a new formula for the first time in two years. So that was the Brightening Vitamin C Serum that we launched about a month ago. And that has kept me very, very busy since then. Oh, my God. It sounds like so much has been happening, which is exciting. (laughs) I want to dive into the rebrand because, as you said last time we caught up, you were just kicking that project off. How was the process? You said it took nine months. 
Yeah, nine months. So that was actually considered very quick. For an entire rebrand. Yeah, and that was really from the concept. So when we decided, yep, we're going full steam ahead with this to actually launching onto the market. So really, really quick turnaround. We worked so hard on it. It was hard to concentrate on the other aspects of the business because everything was so caught up in this rebrand. But I don't know. I just feel like as soon as I saw visually what it was going to look like, I was so connected with it. And I'm like, I want that on the market right now. I just want to get this You're done. You're like, hurry up. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we had to basically relaunch it with our skeleton range. Yeah. So just all of our best sellers, we really focused on making sure we could get those out because we know people can't go without them. And then, yeah, relaunched all the other products from there. So as I was saying, kind of giving them a bit of a fresh look. And then it was almost like we were launching a new product, creating hype again. And the good thing about doing it that way was we were able to re-communicate to the customers all the benefits of those products that they might have forgotten that we had in our range because we do really focus on the best sellers. And we had huge boosts of all of the other products as we relaunched them. So So what were the motivators? Remind us, why did you decide to kind of make that your primary focus at the time? There were a few key motivators. I would say one key motivator would just be that consumers are always wanting something fresh and exciting. We're not a trendy brand. We've never followed trends. We're not releasing new products all the time, but we have to keep the customers interested. So a way we do that is through our marketing and we're always doing different promotions and try to be really creative with what we do. But this was a way of making the whole range fresh and exciting again. Another motivator, and I know you can't try to be something for everyone, but we just wanted to appeal a little bit more to the masses. It was very, I guess, an acquired taste, the way it looked with the tropical font and not necessarily something everyone would want in their bathroom. It was also very feminine. So by changing it up and making it that people from 15 to 65 all love the look of the range. That allowed us to engage with a lot more customers who might have been engaged with Tribe, like following us on Instagram or on our mailing list, but hadn't actually purchased from us. So yeah, I guess appealing to the masses without being something for everyone. Generic, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a fine line to tread. It really is. Yeah. I feel like we nailed it personally. (laughs) And did you acquire a lot of new customers? We did. Through that? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely worked for that. And then the other key motivator that was really important to us was just incorporating all of the customers' feedback into what we did. So just an example of that, our serums were 30 mil size and our customers were always saying they were going through them way too quick and they wanted it to come in a bigger size. But because of the shelf life of the product, we couldn't put it in the same bottle and pump in a bigger size. So we had to change the serums all over to an airless pump so that it would preserve the product and keep it nice and active. And the rebrand allowed us to do that, to look at new packaging options so we could give the customers what they were asking for. So rebranding, it's a massive undertaking. Last time we were speaking, you were doing a lot of the kind of more brand strategy pre-work, I guess. Once you'd really figured out what that brief was, how did you go about finding an agency? How did you manage the process so that you're able to do an entire brand overhaul in such a short period of time? Because nine months is nothing. Like I remember when I was working at Mecca, we were doing that rebrand for almost five years. Like absolutely insane. Even, you know, for Lady Brains, we've taken over a year to brand one product. Like how did you do it? I guess the benefit of being a small business is you can be super reactive and agile in that way. Essentially, we just needed to know 
visually what the brand was going to look like and then it was just a matter, I mean, I make it sound easy, it wasn't yeah. easy by any means, but a matter of changing over all of our packaging, doing new shoots, redoing the website, all of that. I guess in terms of how we did it so quick, I think I landed on a concept really quickly that I was super happy with. So we worked with the brand agency to get our brief together of who our brand was trying to appeal to and doing all that sort of customer stuff in the background and really the brand values and what we stood for. And from there, visually, to get it on point, we gave the concept to about five different design agencies and let them come up with their concept. So definitely the expensive way of doing it. I was going to say, you had to pay for them to do the pitch, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it was so worthwhile because the way that the different agencies or designers interpreted the same brief was just insane. And they were all working off the same mood board, but came up with completely different concepts. Wow. Yeah, it was a good way to do it. Yeah, it's a great way to do it if you've got the cash, because it really allows you to kind of, I mean, that sort of upfront creative vision stuff is the stuff that can take such a long time. So if you're able to sort of expedite that process and get the right people on board early, it can definitely help. Definitely. And in terms of the cash, like you obviously have to fork out that extra cash to work with a few designers. But even if you just get them to come up with your logo concept or the concept for one product and what it's going to look like, then once you find the right designer, you're going to do the full package with them. So they were kind of just doing the concepts for us at the beginning. So how did you go from a budget perspective? Not great. <laughs> so we talk us through it. Yeah, okay. Um, as a nice round figure, we went about a hundred k over budget. Wow, <laughs> which um, was not the plan. But I got a product I was very happy with at the end. And I think because it was over the nine months, I sort of didn't notice until I was looking back at the spreadsheets and going like, oh, okay, that definitely cost a lot more than I was expecting. Is so. that because it took longer than you expected? Like in terms of the design time and cost or was it more about getting the packaging right like yeah. what was what was driving that I would say the main things that really blew the budget for us that I didn't really account for was the minimum order quantities on all of our packaging because a lot of them we have to produce 5 or 10,000 units. We couldn't fill 5 or 10,000 units with skincare because we wouldn't sell through them quick enough. So we have to produce in smaller batches, but we have so much packaging stored in our warehouse because to have our custom Pantone colors and printed with the silver foil and everything I wanted, we had to do huge minimum orders. So I would say that was what really blew the budget out. I guess the benefit of that is I'm not going to have to buy packaging for a very long time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We have so much packaging. So you're just storing that at the warehouse and then you fill it as needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're getting through it. So how did that 100K impact your cash flow and like how did you manage that? Because that's a decent hit for a business to take over nine months of unaccounted spend. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the money has to come from somewhere. I would say, well, with the packaging and stuff, I just had to think of it as I'm investing in the business because we're going to need this eventually. We had to basically, any photo shoot or video shoot or content we were doing, we were putting into the new brand, getting prepared. So we had to keep our Instagram going and keep the website and everything going for all that time. So if anyone was following us at the time, they probably noticed we were reusing a lot of images in terms of content. We might just be posting things like memes or customer before and afters and just really trying to get through that period. So we weren't investing as much money into photography and videography at that time. 
we cut our influencer budgets because we thought we'll wait and really go with the bang. We're going to work with all of our long-term ambassadors anyway as soon as the rebrand happened. So for, yeah, a few months we didn't have as many influencers posting about the brand and just finding anywhere to cut it really. (laughs) Did you see like a dip in sales after you stopped spending on content and influencer marketing? Surprisingly, no. Interesting. I mean, maybe to a degree. Influencer marketing is a very different space now. Mm. I find it's not the same reactiveness where back in the day we might have paid an influencer $10,000 to post and we'll get $20,000 of sales overnight. So we knew we were getting you a could return. could see the return, yeah. Yeah, but that doesn't happen anymore because it's a very saturated space. We're working with influencers now more as content creators. So actually wanting them to produce videos and photos for us that we can repost on our own platforms. This is something I probably always wanted for the business. And I think we're finally there now that four and a half years down the track, we've got our own platforms. So we're not necessarily depending on other people posting about the brand to constantly bring in the sales. We've got our own following on social media. I've got a really decent email marketing list, our text list, because we send out messages to customers as well. So the brand could sustain itself even when we did cut that marketing budget. So are you spending less on influencers now? Yeah, definitely. Still the case now. We've got a few um, that we work with long term that we know like genuinely love the brand, but it's more about the content that they produce. So if we're bringing out a new product and we want to demonstrate what it does and show the textures and how it can help someone's skin, we'll engage with the influencers more from a content creator perspective. Yeah. So in terms of the rebrand, what was the hardest thing, do you think, about kind of running that rebrand and running the business at the same time? Oh, the hardest thing, it was really like having my brain separated between two businesses and just making sure that nothing got leaked because we wanted to really launch with a bang. Highly classified material. It really was. And you just, you realize how many touch points a business has and how many people were seeing the product before it was released. So your photographers, videographers, packaging manufacturers, everyone. I just think in the back of my mind, I always had this fear that we were going to accidentally post a photo of the new products or something was going to happen to show everyone what the brand looks like. And then while I was focusing and working so hard on the rebrand, I had to remember I had an existing brand as well that even though it's the same brand essentially, but yeah, making sure we were still focusing on now instead of just constantly focusing on the future and when we did launch the brand. How did you split your time and your attention? Was it something you consciously had to do or was it, I mean, you just sort of went sort of with the flow? Yeah, definitely a conscious thing. And then also, I guess wherever possible, like a physical thing. So on my computer, like everything was labelled former branding, new branding and in the warehouse as stock was coming in, we had it completely like split down the middle. One side of the warehouse was for former branding or it was current at the time and then the other side was all for new branding. Yeah. Did you do a flash sale before the new launch to kind of move through the old stock? Yeah, we did. We were planning because we have our warehouse down in Torquay and a store at the front and we're going to do a big warehouse sale weekend. It was during COVID lockdown that it was meant to happen. bugger. But we really did need to have the sale. We couldn't postpone it because we needed to relaunch the new brand. Totally. Needed to get rid of the stock we had. So we ended up doing an online warehouse sale. 
That went completely crazy. By the end of that week, we had no old stock left in the warehouse. It was full sell-through. Every single product sold. Wow. So full sell-through. That was amazing because I'd gone so far over budget with the um, (laughs) rebrands. I was like, we got money (laughs) in the bank again. (laughs) But, yeah, it was crazy. Everyone just absolutely went for it. Were you sitting on a lot of stock? Like was it a lot to move through? It was definitely a lot more than I thought we're going to move through, yeah, like because we were kind of planning 12 months for the rebrands, but mm. we got it done in nine. So I was like, well, let's launch this. So like, you moved the ready. launch date forward. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As we could see, it was kind of ready to happen. And we had all our best sellers in the warehouse ready to go. We thought, let's just do this. And you don't really want to be launching at Christmas time when everyone's busy anyway. Yeah. So we thought September's perfect. We'll bring forward the rebrand. That meant we had like quite a few months of stock mm. as excess stock in the warehouse, but our customers always come through and help that us would, out. That would have been loving it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They were stocking up at um, the sale price and worked out well for everyone. So how did the launch day go? Was it like, was it just wild seeing the new branding and the new, it's like your baby yeah, it in was the world? So much more wild than I expected. I had so much anxiety about it for what people were going to think because our customers were really nervous when we told them we were rebranding. We thought it was exciting and we were trying to hype it up and then in the background we had customers saying like, what's happening? Are you changing the formulas? Like they weren't excited about it. Were they excited when they realised that you weren't changing the actual product? They were, but we hadn't really thought of it. So we had to completely change all of our marketing around the rebrand. Instead of hyping it up, we were like, okay, we need to go back to the basics and really communicate to our customers that while the look and feel of the brand's changing, we promise it will be amazing and none of the formulas will be changing. So yeah, I think I was just so nervous. I didn't know what anyone was going to think and it was unrecognizable really. It's completely different. Yeah. So I just thought, I didn't know if that was going to be detrimental to the brand that we had spent four years looking a certain way and then to completely change that. And yeah, just really didn't know what people were going to think. So launch day was so crazy to get so much positive feedback. Like we had thousands and thousands of messages and comments of everyone saying they were loving it. And in amongst all of my fear about the feedback, I never actually thought, people would buy it, which sounds so (laughs) silly, but I thought, I just thought it would go back to like business as usual and the sales would just trickle through and as people needed their cleanser or their moisturizer, our sales would just be the same. But we had our first ever six-figure day on launch day. Like that's how crazy it went. And that had been something I'd been trying to achieve just like as a personal business goal forever. But seems so unattainable and it just hadn't even occurred to me that 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 day day. was going to be the day. And so at the end of the day, I was like, wow, I just don't even know how to handle all this positive feedback. And we had so many orders to pack and it just went so insanely well. How did you feel like as a someone who's been building this business for five years, been working on this project for nine months? Was it a bit of a like pinch me moment? Yeah, very pinch me and very validating. Yeah. I just thought, wow, all this work we've done has been worth it. And the business has been around for four years and people are still so interested and so invested in it and can see that it's going to keep going for another four years mm. and beyond with the new branding. Did you shed a tear? Oh, probably many. <laughs> Probably many. When I got home, I'm sure I had a bath and a glass of champagne. <laughs> That's my idea of celebrating. Well, because, well deserved. Yeah, it's very well deserved. But I'm like, I don't even know how to celebrate something like this. Like, it's just 
too big. Yeah. And did you buy enough stock? Like, were you set up to we support did, that? We okay, yes. Good. Luckily, we were thinking that the stock we had, because we try to keep about three months at a time, so we thought we yeah. had about three months of stock and we sold through it very quick and then we just went, okay, we've got to get more. But- At least you had the packaging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Packaging's ready. We're like, we just need it all filled. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you feel like it's kind of propelled you to that next level? Like, do you feel differently about yes, the business? Very, very much, yeah. I feel like we grew up that day. Yeah. And how was the feedback from retailers and kind of like the beauty industry? Because I remember last time we were speaking, one of the goals that you had was to get into Mecca. Yeah, that was always a huge goal. Like it's just where I saw the brand heading. And I think in the back of my mind, the whole time with the rebrand, I was thinking, what would Mecca like? What do the brands in Mecca look like? And how do we get our brand to look as good as the brands in Mecca, basically? So now I feel like it does, which is such a nice feeling. On my very euphoric day of being so excited about how the rebrand went, but I actually emailed the CEO of Mecca, the founder, and just said to her, I'm not going to hard pitch to you. I'm not trying to sell anything, but I just want you to have a look. We relaunched today and it looks amazing and I'd love you to have a look at it. So that was on the Friday and by the Monday I had a reply in my inbox, which was Did you freak so out? nice about <laughs> I completely freaked out. I was just like, wow, this is happening. And yeah. she said, I'll get my buyers in contact with you and they can have a look at it. So yeah, it just felt like everything had fallen into place and everything we were trying to achieve with the rebrand. I was just sort of in my head, just thought, is that all we had to do this whole time? <laughs> it's just is this happening? <laughs> yeah, like we didn't even have to change any of our skincare or formulas or anything like that. Like it was literally just about the visual aspect yeah. of the brand. And I think finally four years in, I felt confident with how it looked enough to contact her because that was the first time I'd ever contacted. So you'd never reached out beforehand? Never reached out to a retailer. We'd had a few retailers reach out to us in the past and I've always said no, which seems crazy, but I was just so set that Tribe Skincare had to be in Mecca stores and that was That just, was the only one. Yeah, that was the vision. That was the plan A. Didn't have a plan B or C, yeah. which is a bit naughty. I mean, having that sort of like single focus and conviction, I think sometimes can pull you forward. Like it can, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Turns out we needed a plan B and C because it didn't happen. But even though plan A didn't happen and I didn't have a plan B or C, I don't necessarily look at it as a bad thing that I was Mm. so driven to make that happen because of where it's taken the brand to now. It's in a really good place. So definitely worth it. So what happened after that email? So we had a few meetings with the buyers. This was all over a few months, feeling really good. They love the brand. They have like a trial team of staff and customers and people who try out the brand and they all really loved it. So it was all feeling really good. So all signs were pointing to like, "Mm, this is possibly going to come off? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, not that they gave me a false sense of security or anything like that. Like they were very much, we're just meeting with you and we'll see where this goes and everything because you have to be like considered at the executive level and chosen and then taken into stores. But I think because I was trying so hard to manifest it, that I convinced myself it was going to happen. What were you doing? Was it on your vision board? Were you like meditating on it? Like, <laughs> I think just more talking about it like it was already happening. Yeah. And also yeah. structuring my business like it was going to happen. Yeah. Because I thought, okay, so if this happens and 
if I have the next meeting with the buyers and they say, we're going to put tribe skincare in Mecca, what's that going to look like? I'm going to need like a warehouse manager and I need to sort out my logistics and all of that. So I kind of started on all of that to try to get ahead with everything just in case it happened. Everything I did, I was thinking like, well, when we get into Mecca, we'll do that. Or if other, like I was saying, if retailers would contact us and be like, we want to stock tribe, I'd be like, no, sorry. Well, no, <laughs> I guess because the Mecca thing is the exclusivity piece. So yeah, it's like, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, we are unavailable. I'm working <laughs> sorry, on plan A, yeah. <laughs> which is so bad. But basically what happened, it didn't get selected to go into stores. So that's like at the executive level after it had been tested and everything. And for whatever reason, they're building a business and building a brand themselves and they can only have so many brands in the stores. Was that via email or was it a meeting? No, it was a meeting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually feel so bad for the person who had to tell me. Yeah. (laughs) Like what a terrible meeting to have to have. To deliver that news after so much positive feedback. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. How'd you feel? Very bad. (laughs) I think like I kind of was shocked even though like in the back of my mind I definitely had this imposter syndrome where I was like, this can't happen. Like, surely this is too good to be true. Because I was manifesting it so hard, I was like, I think this is actually going to happen. Like, maybe this is going to be real and Tribe really is going into Mecca. So yeah, I think to have like plan A and everything I'd been working towards, I was like, okay, it's done. I need to come up with something else. And straight away, everyone's like, what are you going to do now? Like, are you going to go for another retailer or like, where are you going to take the rent? And I was like, no, I just need to sit on this. You can't come up with something overnight and just be like, okay, all my dreams have gone out the window and I need to start again. So yeah, gave myself some time just to like, I actually took a few days off work, which sounds so dramatic. (laughs) Not really. I mean, you've been working towards something for so long and I think, you know, it's clear you put so much heart and soul into what you do and to have all the signs pointing to yes and then not coming through like that anyone would find that tough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, it took a bit of time off work. Didn't even think about plan B and C. And I think like within a few weeks and, you know, when you're yeah, over the trauma from whatever, I could see that I'm like, okay, well, at the end of the day, I've done the rebrand anyway. The brand looks absolutely amazing and is in such a good place. And we were always an e-commerce brand. So for four years, we were e-commerce. We're really good at that and we've still got opportunities we can go into other retailers. But I thought at the end of the day, I've got a really good business that's going really well. I just need to focus on what I'm good at and get back on track with that. So are retailers potentially a future possibility? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've started going into some skin clinics and salons, which has been really fun because that's my background. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I had a skin clinic before having Tribe, so that's been really cool to work with them. And I think because I've kind of got that background knowledge of how it works, I'm like, okay, I can really help them and know sort of where Tribe Skincare sits in their landscape compared to their cosmeceutical brands that they would usually stock because we're not saying we're a replacement for their cosmeceuticals. It's more for their clients who can't use a cosmeceutical brand because they have sensitive skin. They would use Tribe Skincare or because we're that different price point as well. Yeah, you fit well within their existing range. You fill a gap. Yes, exactly. We're filling a gap 
gap for them, which was essentially why the brand was born, was filling that gap for sensitive skin. So I can um, just sort of communicate that to them. So that's going really well. And then we're going on to some online retailers as well. So Nourished Life and Natural Supply Co. and Active Skin are our three main online retailers we're working with. And are you personally doing all of this business development or are you working with distributors? Like how have you kind of brought on these retailers? So I bought it in in in-house. We have a wholesale manager that's reaching out to people and, yeah, helping with all the wholesale accounts. Nice, nice, nice. And do you see that being a big area of growth? For sure, yeah. I've been really surprised how quickly it's happened. I think as soon as you put your mind to something, and I guess I was just opening up that opportunity and that channel within the business because for four years we had been shut off. Anytime someone's like, can we stock your brand? We're like, no, sorry, we don't wholesale. But as soon as you start saying yes to people, I was like, this is really picking up momentum so quickly. Do you have any regret about saying no to those brands or opportunities because you were so set on Mecca? Or do you think like, you know, you can't have regret it sort of played out the way that it's played out? Yeah, I think it really just played out how it was supposed to. I don't, yeah, really have a regret with it. It's nice that We've gone into wholesale at the same time as rebranding. Yeah. Because otherwise, we'd have to be essentially pulling the existing branding out of our stockists and replacing everything. And it could have been a bit of a messy process. We probably couldn't have got that done in the nine months, but it was easy because we were e commerce only that we could just change over the whole branding and packaging all at once. I think it just worked out to be really nice timing. So we've got that sort of clean cut of going, okay, this is what the brands looks like now. And we're now available in some of your favorite salons yeah. and stockists. And yeah. What have been some of the hardest things with kind of building out this wholesale area of the business? I think probably a bit like the imposter syndrome as well of I didn't really have any knowledge in it. It's starting from scratch of working out what works. And same with the wholesale manager, she was coming in and working out what works as well. A few strategies that we changed up and tried. The first one was me learning how to reach out to a buyer basically, which I do through LinkedIn. Yep. Great. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm Really good at communicating the brands in writing, but it's harder to do so in like an initial meeting or even just getting someone to want to meet with you. So I find LinkedIn's really good for that. I can kind of send them all of the information that I want to send. The good thing about LinkedIn is what my theory anyway, they might only get one message a day on LinkedIn. So they're probably going to notice you, whereas they would be getting so many emails every single day and you can get a bit lost. So I find the response rate with LinkedIn messages is really, really good. In terms of the wholesale manager and her strategy, which is something that other brands could try too, we were basically cold emailing, cold calling. It was getting us absolutely nowhere. No one was interested. And even though you have such a big brand already and a big community. Yep, absolutely. Really? That's surprising. Yeah, I think it was just too easy for them to say no. We have brands reach out to us wanting to stock the brand. And that's always easy because they want us. So we're already in that good position. But yeah, when it's the opposite way and we're reaching out to them, we were getting just so many no's. So we're trying out a new strategy that we started a few months ago, where instead of hard selling to them and saying, you know, do you want to stock the brand? We'll just be like, hey, we would love for you to try the products. Can we send you the range to try? And that has been so successful. We obviously have a bigger cost up front because we're sending out free products to people. 
but the conversion rate of that has been so good. That's how all of the salons and stockists are coming on now because they have to touch and feel and Mm. smell the range and they hopefully love it so much that they want to have it in their salon. It's also one of those things when you're reaching out to a brand or a distributor, whatever it might be, like it's almost like dating. Like you have to have multiple touch points, multiple emails, multiple conversations. It's unlikely someone that you reach out to is going to say yes off the bat. Yeah. And so so sending product, it gives you an opportunity to email them, send the product, follow up, ask if they enjoyed it. You know, like it it builds a relationship basically. Yes, that's so true. Everything we're like, what's an excuse to email (laughs) people? (laughs) So we're like, okay, we'll email them and see if they liked it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And also we like, we do that all the time with brands and partners, you know, email people an interesting podcast episode or resource that we found that they might find useful. And it's just all about kind of providing that value and and building that connection with people. Like we're all people at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And people don't want to just be sold to and then followed up. Like, did you get my last email? Yeah, totally. No, I chose not to reply to your email, but (laughs) if you're sending them something of value and yeah, building that relationship is really key. Yeah. So what are you seeing at the moment in kind of the beauty space? What trends are you seeing? What do you think is coming? So I'm the worst person to ask about trends because <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, you don't, you don't we focus don't on trends. Follow them. I definitely see a lot of trends in the beauty industry, but I mean, they come and go so quickly. And because our whole brand concept is about having a long-term relationship with your skincare, and also very minimalist, that we're all about just using a few products. But in terms of a trend that's relevant to us, would be sustainability. And I think that is across all industries. We've seen it coming for so many years that people are starting to care. But now I think it's getting to a point that people are like, okay, do something about it. We really care now. Your products need to be recyclable and you need to be reducing waste the whole way across your production line as well, because you can still communicate that to your customers. It's not just about the end product. They want to know all about the manufacturing and where the products come from and making sure that it's as sustainable as possible. And so what are you doing in that space at the moment? We are doing basically from start to finish, we've looked at every single aspect of what we do and how we can cut waste along the way. This was a huge feature too when we are doing the rebrand, allowing us to put the products bigger volumes in the bottles allows us to reduce the amount of bottles that are being used. We also had to go back and forth so many times about whether our products were going to come in boxes because 95% of the products that you purchase on a shelf is in a box. It's very tempting, especially when we're getting the brands retail ready to box the entire range. But we thought we just don't need it. We can print all the relevant information onto the bottle itself. And then we don't have to worry about having boxes that people just throw straight in the bin. Manufacturing in Australia as well is also a lot more sustainable than having to ship things from overseas. So just all aspects of the business, I think, it's really just not about your final products. You can look at every single touch point and just think, how can we change this? Even like our padded satchels, we used to send our products out and we send them in recyclable boxes now instead. Did you have to change anything in your supply chain to allow you to produce more sustainable packaging or the new new packaging or were you able to kind of do everything with your existing suppliers? We change suppliers when we change packaging. Our old packaging was recyclable as well, but because it was labels on bottles, you're having the labels as waste, all the backing for it, the big rolls they come on, like all of that. So now we just print straight onto the bottle and we had to change manufacturers to do that. Was that a tough process or was it fairly seamless? 
Um, <laughs> seamless now. Now that it's done, yeah. And I look of course, back everything. At it. Yeah, exactly. You forget the pain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. The reordering process is seamless, but <laughs> definitely well, yeah. at the start, onboarding was... new new people and new partners yeah, is always a challenge. Definitely. Yeah. What's one of the things that's tested you the most over the last twelve to eighteen months? I think. Staying motivated, and I only say this because I've been reading about like the five-year itch that people get in business. Yes. I'm coming up to five years in a couple of months and I was like, oh, the five-year itch has hit me hard in terms of the business has so many like policies and procedures and now I've got like staff in place that do things for me that I think at times I'm getting a little bit lazy. Mm. And I want to really like have that hunger again and be like, okay, like I'm, you know, really hungry for success and pushing the business further. I think that is just coming less naturally to me now. What's well, funny because I think in the first, you know, five years, like they say it takes five years to kind of like get a business up and running and profitable. I guess in that first five years, you're like, you're, I hate this word, but you're hustling. You're like yeah. your pace is really fast. You're living and breathing it. And I guess now you're in a position where other people are living and breathing it too and doing a lot of the work. And it's almost like a different, it's a different vibe. Like it's a different environment a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think I've lost my hustle. I had someone trying to book a meeting with me yesterday and she wanted it for this Friday. I was like, sorry, I don't work Fridays. I'm just Monday to Thursday. You do four four days a week? Yeah, four days a week, Monday to Thursday. And I'm so strictly eight till four, like I won't check anything work-related. I don't even have work emails on my phone. And then she wanted to book for next week. And I'm like, sorry, I'm on annual leave next week, (laughs) going on a holiday. And I was like, this is, I mean, it's probably a good thing really, because it means I've found that work-life balance. Yeah. But yeah, definitely lost my hustle at the same time. So I need to find that balance of like still being really motivated and hungry and putting my soul into this business and doing everything to make it a success, but also keeping my boundaries. Well, I was going to say, it's not necessarily a bad thing because oftentimes there are no boundaries between your business and your life. When, yeah. And, you know, it's so easy to become so emotionally attached and kind of riding the roller coaster of ups and downs. So having a level of detachment, probably healthy. Yeah, I think so. And if you can't have it in five years time of having your business, you're never going to have it. Yeah. So it's probably good that I do. If I could give any advice to anyone wanting a work-life balance, it would be deleting work emails off your phone. Best decision ever. I've never looked back. I've never missed anything that hasn't killed the business. Yeah, exactly. It hasn't changed anything. We haven't lost sales because of it. If our customers have to wait until the next day to get responses, it doesn't matter the world goes on without you having emails on your phone. So what does inspire you about the business? Like, what do you love about it? What type of work do you love? What is the next goal? Like, if you want to get that hustle back, like what will bring that? Yeah, I think the thing I've always loved about the business is the customers and their skin journeys. So we're so involved with our customers. We're communicating with them all the time and they're sending through their reviews and doing their before and afters. And I love that, that I feel like the customers are really connected with the brand and we're connected back with them. In terms of what's going to motivate me and the hustle, I guess this wholesale has really given me that again, that like I'm super like interested in how that aspect of the business is going and working hard on that, always on my LinkedIn, (laughs) hustling on LinkedIn. Always creeping on people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think that. And then the other thing I love that I'm so excited about is that we can do events again. Yeah. I love having brand activations and events and 
meeting all our customers and ambassadors and they're just so much fun and they work so well just to really get the brand out there. So really excited. We just had one a couple of months ago. For your product launch, right? Yeah, yeah, for the vitamin C and it was just the best. They're just the best days. They're like a big wedding day. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So much like production and yeah. so much work, but it is, you're right. There's something magical about seeing your community in real life and making those like one-to-one connections. I mean, you can, you know, speaking to people in the DMs and all of that's great, but that real life connection. I miss it. I yeah. Really miss it. I think people are really craving it at the moment too, after having a few years where we were all at home and not having events. So when people do get to go to events like that, they're really making the most of it and people are getting back into stores again and yeah, it's nice yeah. feeling normal again. And yeah, people are definitely connecting. What's been one of the biggest kind of new lessons or biggest revelations you've had over the last couple of years? Something I've really learned over the last couple of years and just five years in business in general is your business doesn't have to look a certain way. So I think I always sort of had these markers of how I wanted it to be and what I wanted the sales to be at a certain time. And if I wanted to have like my warehouse and store and all these things, and I thought that it was kind of like this natural progression a business had to go on. But yeah, I'm just learning that your business can look however works for you and however works for your customers. And I think a big aspect of that is staying in your lane and focusing on your own business rather than what your competitors are doing all the time. And I know you do have to have some sort of awareness of your competitors, but I've never been one of those people that's always looking at my competitors on Instagram and seeing what they're doing because I end up copying. Mm. It's just what happens. If I look up other skincare brands on Instagram and stuff, I'm like, oh, what are they doing? Or I'll look at their website and be like, oh, we need to do that too. And you end up just being basically a carbon copy of every other business. So I think that's really important just to see how you want your business to look. And it doesn't matter if it's different to other businesses. Are you clear on that now? Like in terms of exactly what you want Tribe to look like? Yeah, definitely. I think at this point, I know who we are as a brand and what we stand for. And I think it's equally as important to know what you don't do as a brand as what you do do. Mm. So we know that like we're not scientific and we're not super focused on educational, like everything's in layman's terms and just things like that, that just makes it easy when you know your brand's identity, that if you're writing up a caption or doing something on a website or talking to a customer, you've sort of got that clear tone of voice across everything. It feels like you've got a really strong conviction around the brand. Like, I mean, you've always had that, but that's now coming across visually and feels like you're really just clear. Yeah, I think the rebrand really yeah. gave me that clarity. Like we basically went back to square one yeah. and looked at everything again, like I was saying, our brand values and who we are, but also who our customer is and what they want from us. And definitely doing the rebrand gave me all that clarity. And now I'm just so proud of what it looks like. <laughs> like so I can just <laughs> sit back and just watch it all happen. Yeah, I think that's where my conviction comes from because I'm just like, whoa, look how cool this brand well, is. You've seen, and you've seen the results. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, the, res- so true. the response has been so incredible. So. Yeah, that's true. We've got five years proof of market. So yep. I think at this point I'm allowed to be confident. 100%, <laughs> as you should be. Yeah. So what's next? What are you currently working on? So with the wholesale aspect of the business, we're trying to be in 100 stores by the end of this year. So working towards that. Onboarding individually 100 stores, not through a distributor? Yes, onboarding ourselves. Wow. That's a 
big ambition? Yeah, big ambition. When I first said it, I kind of, not as a joke, but I mean, you've got to make your KPIs high, don't totally. you? So I was like, yep, we're going to be in 100. And it was seeming very unrealistic when we were reaching out and getting so much rejection. But now that we're having success with the conversions by getting people to actually try the product, it's seeming like it's going to happen. The biggest lesson here for me is that every failure or rejection is really an opportunity in disguise. Kayla had one goal. It was to see Tribe on the shelves of Mecca and it didn't end up happening. But instead of feeling really broken and really defeated, which a lot of us might choose to do in that situation, she used it to fuel her to pivot the business into a completely new direction. I'm sure there've been lots of times in your career or your business where you've experienced failure. We all do. It's part and parcel of the journey, but the real magic is in how you choose to view that failure, how you choose to respond to it. And you can really choose to see it, like Kayla, as an opportunity to simply redirect. That's it for today. For all the behind the scenes action with us and Kayla in studio, come and join us on Instagram at lady.brains and join the conversation in our Facebook group. Just type in the Lady Brains Clubhouse and you'll find us.